0: Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay.
1: Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on SEM Synergy. I'm your host, Bruce Clay. With me today are Susan and Virginia.
2: Hello, everybody. Good afternoon.
1: You can catch SEM Synergy every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific. You can also download it at any time from Webmaster Radio's Search Engine Optimization channel. Stream it on scmsynergy.com or pick it up on iTunes. Today we're a little bit different. I thought we would talk about one of the more popular platforms. Uh, For those of you who haven't figured it out, it's the you'll never need more than 140 character platform. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: That's like you'll never need more than 640K. Uh, We're talking about Twitter and uh, other things that go along that. I mean, ads are creeping in everywhere Twitter is starting to show ads um, I don't know I, th- I think that uh, there's something about 140 characters and an ad that really kind of throws you off a little bit what do you think
2: uh, you know we kind of talked about a little bit about this before before we started um, and I really think that and people are already using Twitter for advertising I mean, all the people I know are marketers, right? That's because you, because Twitter is a network of niches, and so everybody I know on Twitter is a marketer of some kind or another, and they're definitely using it for it. We use it to promote our blog posts. We use it to talk about conferences. You know, we use it to talk about new products, and everybody else does the same thing.
3: I mean, all those cool contests that people find on Twitter are all promotional. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know. Um, last week you were doing the LeapFish retweet because they were giving money to charity with every retweet. Great cause, no problem, but it was still marketing. So Twitter's already being used for marketing. It's just that people don't like that Twitter is doing its own marketing. Everybody's allowed to make money on Twitter, but Twitter. right? That's that's kind of the attitude I feel from people. No, we don't want ads in our stream. No, we don't want Twitter inserting stuff into our stream
3: get over it (laughs) yeah and um, I mean I think it's just weird people are uncomfortable with having uh, ads in their their familiar places but how long do you think I mean was television did that originate with ads right there already I would think so is it because these things weren't created with ads in mind
1: well if you really think back Television was preceded by radio, yeah. and radio had sponsorship of a show, they had yeah. commercials, they had you know this hour and that hour, and all these things were uh, around for a very, very long time. I think newspapers certainly had ads for a very, very long time. None of these inventions came without cost, and... Ultimately, everything has to figure out how to be self-funding or it goes away. And I think that if Twitter is worth saving, it is worth the community supporting their ability to pay for themselves. I think that there's almost an obligation, or we are to say, Twitter was a fad, we used it because it was free, now that there's ads, we're going to go somewhere else. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen.
3: People have said for some time that they would pay to use Twitter. But do you think that that really would last for long? Well, it
2: could. I mean, it's possible that there are people who really never, ever want to see ads and are willing to pay for the privilege. You know, there are communities out there that work like that already. Okay, so let's take it to the next
1: step. Everybody has a phone. Everybody receives texts. What if the phone company said, texting is free, we're going to put an ad on it?
2: As long as I had the option to continue to pay for my text. no, and no, I no, no, it, no, no, no,
1: no. I didn't say you could still pay for it.
2: Well, what, what, right? I, from
1: now on, it's free.
2: From now on, it's free, but you have to see ads. I, you know what? I don't like the lack of choice. So, but if if they said, and the other thing is, I'm already paying for a service that's ad free. In that case, I'm paying to get text messages at an exorbitant rate because we know that you pay more per text message than you do for data on the phone company's wires. So I'm already paying this rate. If I'm willing to keep paying it, you should be willing to not send me ads. Right? Fair.
1: All right, so what about
2: Twitter? So if you're willing to pay for Twitter, I think you should be able to opt out of ads. All right, this is this is my pro account. I'm not going to see anybody's ads but mine. It's time for a quick break, but stay right where you are and more SEM Synergy is on the way.
0: Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back.
4: So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to namejet.com at max speed to get...
1: at
4: BruceClay.com ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage and ship your orders in the most cost efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible as well as a free USPS account ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here.
0: Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on webmasterradio.fm.
4: The following is an encore segment of SEM Synergy.
3: Welcome back to SEM Synergy. This is Virginia Nussi, and I am joined by one of the co-authors of Search Engine Marketing, Inc., Mike Moran. Thank you for coming on the show, Mike. Thanks,
5: Virginia. Nice to be here.
3: Um, So the book, uh, when the first edition came out a few years ago, started being called the Search Marketing Bible, and it really is like an all-you-need-to-know guide starts with figuring out the scope of your project, choosing your keywords, optimizing content, attracting links. And then you've started, or in the new edition, you've also included social media and site search. So how did you decide that this was the right time to write the new edition, and what are the some of the main differences?
5: I think that um, there's no right time to do that. So it's just a question of looking at how things have changed in the last three years and just feeling like, um we really needed to to go back and update some things i mean if you go back 3 years ago google was the only one doing hybrid paid search au- auctions there really wasn't any social media going on to speak of and um, you know Google now in the u s and in a lot of other countries has like seventy percent market share whereas a few years ago they had like around i think they had around forty the first time that we um, put out the first edition so all of those kinds of things have changed a lot of what uh, people need to do i mean I, I think I believe that there were no site maps available back in uh Back in uh, 2005, I think Google came out with it a few months after we put out the first edition. So there's so many changes in what's gone on. And, and, the, mo- and the business moved so fast that we thought that uh, this was the right time to come out with something to update everything.
3: Yeah, it really, it, I guess it, it's amazing how much it's changed in just a few years. Um one of the things that really makes this book stick out to me is how you cover both the business aspects and technology aspects, and you kind of, you know, roll them all into one and, and, and go through them step by step. So um, do you think people should be reading certain sections or looking at the book as a whole if, say, they have an understanding in one already, but maybe not as much in the other?
5: I think they should re- read each page out loud in the town square. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that uh, – I think that if you really understand the technical parts of it, but you need to brush up on the business parts, I think that that's a way to go after it. I, so I think it depends on who you are. But, uh most of the people that I've talked to that even have, you know, come into it with some understanding tell us that they do learn things even in what they consider to be their specialty. So um, the thing I hope is different about this book than a lot of the other search books is that we don't just tell you the technical details. We don't just tell you which levers to pull and dials to twist, but we also remind you that, you know, there's more about marketing and search marketing than search. And so if you really think about... um the fact that, you know, picking a keyword is really market segmentation and that everything you do has to give you a return on investment. I think those pieces of advice and those techniques for how you figure those things out are just as important as trying to understand how to write the right copy for a title tag or the optimal way to bid in paid search. So I think all those technical details are very important, but you also need to look at search in a very holistic way so that you are making sure that that it makes good business sense. Because otherwise, how do you know when to stop? You know, how do you know when you should stop spending time on this keyword or this page? How do you know when search marketing itself is giving you all it can do and you should be spending your time doing something else? Unless you're really grounded in those business concepts, you never know how to answer those questions.
3: Sure. Um, you know, speaking of like, the business aspect, you have a whole chapter that's dedicated to making search marketing operational within your organization, and you kind of um, break it down into three different actions. Um, Can you explain what those actions are that need to happen?
5: I think that the, the, um, the most important thing to think through when you're trying to make something operational is to try and think of how you're not going to make things Repeated all the time um, by doing the same thing you did to start it off, I think that a lot of the times there are people that are really good at starting projects and they really they really like to be able to do something new, but they don 't necessarily know how to how to keep things going once they 've already started it and I think that that's really what making it operational is all about and so if you want to break down the three steps, I think that you you, you want to think about having a central team, um, especially if it's a large organization. Um, small organizations, a central team might be, it's my job from two to four on Fridays, and so it's not as big an issue for them. But for a large organization, you need to have some focal point for what people are doing. The other thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you establish best practices. So you want to make sure that you have policies, procedures, if you're more organization you don't talk that way you probably talk about checklists but you want to have something that people do every time they're putting a page out on a website or every time they're starting a new uh, they're an- announcing a new product or whatever the things are that you do in your organization you need to have some kind of checklist or procedure to make sure that they're doing the right thing And the last thing you want to do is metrics. You want to make sure that you're tracking what you're doing because even if you're doing things really well, something will change. I mean, uh, my other book is called Do It Wrong Quickly, and the idea behind that is that there's feedback loops in all of Internet marketing, and search marketing is no exception. So even if you're doing something that you think is right, if you wait 10 minutes, something will change, and some part of it will be suboptimal. And so only if you're tracking the metrics and looking at that feedback do you know that's happening. And so what you need to do is to make sure that, As things are changing, you're watching what the metrics are, and you're able to change with it. So those are really the three basic steps.
3: Yes. Um, Speaking of like metrics, um, maybe this kind of falls into that. Um, Identifying your website's goals kind of is a critical part to measuring your success, um, which is part of you know the conversion cycle that you have to determine for your site. Uh, How do you recommend choosing the right events to count? I think that
5: um, it really goes back to what the business value is for your website. So, um, and every website is going to have different ones. I mean, if you're an e-commerce site, it's pretty easy. You want to see people drop things into the shopping cart and check out. Um, but most sites are not e-commerce sites, and so they have to figure out what it is that they want to count. So some sites, um, like when I worked at IBM, one of the things that we used to count is downloading a white paper. And that was a really important event because what would happen is that someone interested in a service or product might be really interested in the details behind that. And so a white paper was a very persuasive document that helped people to see why they might want to buy that from us. And so that was a a conversion event. And you wanted to be able to track those conversions by saying, well, of the people who downloaded a white paper paper, how many bought from us, but the web event that was a conversion was that download because they didn't buy online. Um, You see the same thing with car companies. I mean, if you go to Cadillac's website, they'll help you figure out what car you're going to buy. So they'll let you pick which interior you're going to buy and uh, whether you want the GPS system. And then you print the thing out and bring it into a dealer and say, how much for one of these? So the conversion on the website is actually somebody completing that conversion and printing it out. Um, Then they want to track offline how many people that brought those printouts. And actually bought. All of those things are part of your cycle. And so you have to understand how you're designing that experience to know which things to count.
3: Um, one of the new things, like you mentioned in the in this new edition, is social media. And I mean, you kind of sum it up is by saying that the new web has a lot of more and some different opportunities for connecting with customers than even just a few years ago. Um, can you explain that?
5: Well, I think that um, the the big difference between the web of a few years ago, you know, what they quaintly called Web 1.0 as opposed to Web 2.0, is that Web 1.0 um, was more like a traditional media where whoever had the money was able to control the message. So just as an advertiser can put a commercial on television, and if uh, you buy that product and you hate it, you can't put a commercial on next week that says it's terrible. Um, same thing used to be true of the web is big companies and even small companies could pay and have websites, but consumers couldn't really do much about that. They didn't have any way to talk. And with Web 2.0, you have things like blogs where anybody can put a blog out for free. You can participate in message boards. You could put a rating or a review on a product on a site somewhere. Um, You can use Twitter to do micro blogging where you're sending these public instant messages out to people. And it doesn't cost any money. So ordinary people don't need to own a printing press or be able to pay for a commercial on a TV station. They can get their, their message out there the same way as big companies can. And so it's really important that big companies understand not just how to use this kind of uh, technology so that they get customers to pass their good messages along, but they also have to monitor their reputation so that um, they know what kind of conversation is going on about them. That's one of the things that attracted me to come to work for my new company, Conversion, is that it helps people to see what the conversation is that's going on out there. And that's useful both from a brand awareness and public relations point of view, but it also can help you understand what kind of messages you may want to be emphasizing in your search marketing. What are the kinds of things that people think about you? What are they likely to believe in a positive way about you? What, you know, and One way to think about it is what do you have permission to say? in the marketplace? What do people think you're you're good for? And then that's a way for you to orient your search marketing so that you're picking those keywords that cause the people that are interested in you to find you.
3: There's a lot to think about and a lot that you cover in this book, but if you're getting ready to launch a search marketing program, you really should be picking up Bill um Hunt and Mike Moran's step-by-step book to help you develop and execute your program. It's called Search Marketing or Search Engine Marketing Inc and it's available at amazon.com, is that right?
5: That's right. Um you All can right. also come to my website at mikemoran.com and you can learn more about it and click through from there.
3: Absolutely. Thanks again for coming on the show, Mike.
5: Thank you, Virginia. Really appreciate the time.
3: Stick around in the next segment. Susan, Michael, and I will take another look at search marketing business strategy here on SEM Synergy.
0: Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back.
4: So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at max speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com.
0: Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on WebmasterRadio.fm. The
4: following is an encore segment of SEM Synergy.
3: Welcome back to SEM Synergy. This is Virginia Nessie, and I'm joined by Heather Lloyd-Martin, President and CEO of SuccessWorks, an SEO company specializing in killer content. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Heather.
6: Hi, thanks so much for having me today. So,
3: I actually knew I wanted to have you on the show as soon as I watched your presentation at SES San Jose back in August. It was called Turn Brain Science into Bucks Incorporating Persuasive Messaging into Your Content Strategy. And it was a really cool presentation because you explained how a lot of writers are focused on keywords, and maybe that's, you know, maybe too much so, considering that content marketing is more than just writing the words on the page. There's a lot of um, thought that you can put into the user or the reader's buying decisions and how and how the copy makes them feel. Can you explain that
6: a bit? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I saw around SEO copywriting and, and SEO content marketing is that there's a big misconception out there that writing SEO, anything having to do with SEO copywriting, is all around keywords. It's all about how many times can you include the keyword in the copy to help artificially inflate the page's ranking. And although I understand that from one angle, because certainly with SEO copywriting, one of the main benefits of it is you do get good search engine rankings when those pages and the strategy is really good, the flip side of that is that it's gone to the extreme to where people aren't talking about the use your experience anymore and good copywriting what helps you make money and what helps sell your product or, or get eyeballs to your site whatever your main conversion goal is has to do with how that text is written. And are you speaking to your target audience? Are you hitting those main emotional needs? Because that's why we buy, even if it's a purely what we think is a purely logical decision, that really we're buying on emotion and we're choosing companies that we feel comfortable working with. So one of the things that I had in my presentation is going back to Psychology 101 and looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I showed some examples in in my presentation about different types of sites that were somewhat related. And so one was like a home loan modification site. And the copy and the imagery was targeted towards folks that were worried about physiological needs, like losing their home. And so the way that you would write for that particular site would be completely different than what you would write towards people that have money through the recession. And, in fact, they're looking to buy an even bigger home or maybe a luxury vacation home. So although it sounds like a no-brainer to to look at Maslow's hierarchy and to be able to say, all right, so if it's a site having to do with home security, we have to speak to security needs. And if it's a site having to do with physiological, you might lose your house, you know, talk to those kinds of needs. It's something that gets lost a lot. And it's actually one of the ways that people can it can figure out, you know, do I want to work with a company, do I want to work with a copywriter, is do they come to you and start saying, you know, let's set up a customer persona, what are the main objections that your customer has that we need to overcome? Because once you tie in on that emotional messaging and then you combine that with everything we know that we need the search engines need, That's when you have really good killer content that converts plus gets the search engine rankings that you want.
3: I have to say, as a copywriter, it was really eye-opening to hear that. It was really cool.
6: That's cool. And and for a lot of folks it's a brand new concept because they honestly believe, because there's so much miscommunication and misconceptions out there, that SEO copywriting is just about the keywords. So once you understand that there's more to it, it actually opens up an entirely new avenue of how you connect with your customers. You're doing it on a more human level, rather than saying, All right, you're looking for cashmere sweaters, how many times can I show this on the page? <laughs>
3: And that kind of speaks to um, a new phrase that you suggest we might start using in order to help align the this this concept to the practice is um,
6: content marketing. Yeah, that's something that you see a lot now um, in other types of arenas. So they mentioned the content marketing play. Uh, not so much with, with search. We're a little behind that. Um, but I'm hoping that this is something that people focus on more and more because content marketing is more than just your web page. It's, it's about anything you have to do online that talks about your brand and helps show your messaging. So you've got Facebook. You've got what you can tweet out. You have your web pages, you might have blogs or other articles, so all of this content that you're pulling out ideally should be integrated under one, one kind of marketing and messaging umbrella to where even though you might be saying different things in different ways according to the medium, at the end of the day, all of it integrates and it's all encouraging and promoting your brand, your messaging, and your benefits.
3: That's great. Um, So you are a pretty frequent speaker in the conference circuit. And along with the SES session that I was speaking about earlier, just this last week you were at SMX East and you spoke and presented for the SMX Boot Camp Copywriting for Search Success. Um, Aside from, you know, stepping back from keywords and looking at the user's um, where they are in the buying cycle and that kind of thing. Is there another, t- maybe one takeaway that you would ha- you would say somebody should walk away from a boot camp or, or or a course that you teach?
6: Probably the biggest takeaway for things like that is is to encourage people to not get overwhelmed with it, but also know how important the content is. Um, I've worked with a lot of companies from mom-and-pops up to Fortune 50 companies, and what can happen is what I'll call the learned helplessness of SEO content marketing, where folks will think, okay, the template, we can't change it. We're an e-commerce site. Uh, We've got all these other things going on. Maybe there's nothing we can do. What can we do from a technical standpoint? And really, there's always something you can do with SEO copywriting and content marketing. Uh, the the k- k- trick of it is is to not get overwhelmed, to take that step back and figure out what, what things can we do to leverage low-hanging fruit. Can we go through and change the titles and add key phrases to some articles or FAQ pages or blog posts where we might not have thought of that before? Um, can we go through and update things? Can you build a blog or do other things in order to start – capitalizing on other key phrase searches that your site might not be applicable for now. So if you're feeling confused about it, I mean, that could be really normal, but to just know that there's a lot of room to move, sometimes it takes a consultant to come in and say, here's the different avenues for you to explore. A lot of times you can figure it out in-house, but even if that means that you're just doing a few things every month, you know, you don't have to pull down every page on your site now and rewrite it, but just changing a few pages, of adding a few pages, just figuring out a way that you can get everyone on your team involved in blogging or whatever that means for your company, that's when you're going to start seeing the success. What Where people go wrong is that they think it's too big, that it's too scary, and it's nothing they can do. There's really always something you can do. It's just figuring out what you can do with the resources, the budget, and the, the timeline that you have within your company.
3: One really amazing resource that would fall right into that is um, your SEO Copyright Training Program, which has recently started back up. It's... Um, well, tell us a little bit about that.
6: I, I'm, I'm really excited, and I'm so thrilled that you guys are asking me about this. I'm really excited about the, the SEO copywriting training because what would happen is that people would read a book, or they'd go to a forum, or they would go to a conference, and they would still be confused. Um, maybe it's because... Maybe it's because books are not what works. So the training is a really great low-cost alternative for folks that might not have the time or budget to send folks to a conference where they're only talking about SEO copywriting for an hour. Or they might not have the time or budget to be able to get an in-house customized, but they need to know how to do this, and they need to have some help along the way. So it's a great mixture of... the best of all worlds, where you get the hands-on training, but you're also able to do the training at your own pace so that you don't have to worry about finishing it in a week or a month. You've got a long time to finish, but you get some help along the way as you're learning.
3: And help from one of the pioneers in SEO content writing is something you can't really put a price tag on. And yet, this one is really low. So um, along with everything that Heather said, it also comes with your a new edition of your book, right?
6: Exactly. So for those who have know, known or possibly read the original uh, Successful Search Engine Writing, uh, that I have completely revamped the book. I have the old book available for the for the training, but this is a brand-new edition taking into account everything that's happened with the engines in the industry in the last five, six years.
3: It's so awesome, and I think that this is a opportunity that should definitely be considered. You can check out more from Heather by visiting com or uh, checking out your Twitter stream, Heather Lloyd, double L-O-Y-D, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Heather.
6: Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is
3: fun. As always, thanks to Webmaster Radio for producing the podcast. And thanks to Heather Lloyd-Martin for lending her expertise to the show. And, of course, thanks to everyone out there listening. If you have internet marketing questions or topics you want to hear about, send them to SEM Synergy at BruceClay.com. And you can visit SEMSynergy.com for info on this week's show. On behalf of Bruce Clay and Company, thanks for joining us on SEM Synergy.